0: Great, we're gonna play a game. Uh, You're gonna see on the screen the first line from a book. It's a simple game, name the book. Hands in the air, otherwise it could get mayhem. First line, Uh, the sun did not shine, it was too wet to play, so we sat in the house. All that cold, cold, wet day. Live straight up. The cat in the hat. The cat in the hat, correct, good. Here's another one. In the light of the moon, a little egg lay on a leaf. Yes. The Very Hungry Caterpillar, correct. One for young and old. If you read The Very Hungry Caterpillar. Final one, a little bit more relevant. Christmas won't be Christmas without any presents, grumbled Joe, lying on the rug. Joe sounds, you know, yeah, great. I think little women. It is little women. It is little women, that's good. How stories start matter, don't they? When you read the first line of a story, you go, oh, that's my first line, I'm going to leave it on there. They're deliberately written by the authors, aren't they? When you set up a story, you deliberately write it in a simple way. They set the tone, they give us headlines, they introduce the main characters, except for Matthew, seemingly. So if you like me, when you maybe read that first chapter, the first line of a biography of Jesus, you're expecting something different. You went, well played, Mike, but that's a long list of names and very, very repetitive. It seems a bit of a weird way to start, doesn't it? I'm not sure I've ever seen a nativity play which starts that way. It would, it, the kids would be bored, they'd be out the door within a few minutes, wouldn't they? Well, as we said, all of the Bible is relevant, all of it is true, and what Matthew is doing here, the guy who wrote this book, it's utterly deliberate, it's completely groundbreaking, and he's telling us right at the start, as Cy helpfully introduced, that the king of all kings has come. For first century Jews reading this, and it's so important when we read Any scripture, we we get into the mindset of what the first readers have understood this to mean. He is saying everything from the Old Testament, all the books beforehand, up to now is here. The promised king has come. Right here in this list of names, we learn so much about the baby we think about this Christmas time. And I don't know how maybe you're feeling sitting here today. Maybe you've been to church loads and celebrated Christmas many times. Maybe this is your first time ever in a church, welcome. Maybe you've come just because it's Christmas, great. But whatever stage we're at, whatever we're coming into today with, whatever's going on, we just have a chance now to stop and to listen to what God has to say to us through the Bible. As he said, we believe it's massively relevant to us today. And we have a chance to consider again this man, Jesus, this baby Jesus who grows into a man. And we're gonna do that each week and lead up to Christmas. Just, just think about it with me. The vast majority of the world all stops at this time of year, doesn't it? Uh, music comes out, presents get bought, families travel. We've just been at Waddesdon Market and it seemed like half of Oxfordshire was there. People just do things at Christmas where we wouldn't do any other time of year. Uh, and at least in some sense, whether deliberately or not, people are remembering that a baby called Jesus was born 2000 years ago. That's why we celebrate Christmas. So as we start to get into this passage, we get into the first few chapters of Matthew in the next few weeks. Can I challenge you to listen afresh to what the Bible says about Jesus this year? You may have heard it 20, 30, 40 times, or it may be the first time. It's easy just to go, it's Christmas again. Hey ho, let's go through the rhythm. But let's stop and fix our eyes on Jesus again this Christmas. Our whole world is literally divided into before Christ and after Christ. It was a cataclysmic event. And Matthew doesn't start like a usual first line of a book. He starts with this family tree. And I think there's loads we can learn here, but there's three main things we're gonna pull out today. Firstly, we're gonna see that Jesus was a real man, is what Matthew's claiming here. Two people uh, went to a group in Papua New Guinea. Not sure where that is, somewhere in the Pacific, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong afterwards. Uh, Two uh, people went to this group, they're called the Binumerian people. They speak a language which had never had the Bible in their own language. So these guys went to translate the Bible for them. They devoted years of their life, literally years of their life, to translate the Bible for these people. And there was one point in the process where one of the Binamerians, we'll call them, got incredibly excited. And it was with these verses in Matthew 1. And we gave Ma- Mike a round of applause, but I'm not sure it was because we went, I'm incredibly excited. We're just well played for reading it. Um, this binomarian, he said to one of the translators, we must gather everyone together tonight. This is so important. And the translator was really confused. But they did it, and when it was read, the place was silent. When they were done reading, one of the leaders one of the t- leaders, said to the translator, they said, why didn't you share this with us before? No one bothers to write down the ancestors of spirit beings. It is only real people who record their genealogies. Jesus must be a real person. He must have been a real man on the earth. That was the view of the Binamarians. Now you may sit in that camp, you may not, but what this genealogy does is it roots Jesus' story in history. Not a myth, not a fairy tale, not the cat in the hat, but in history. And I think it's worth saying at this point, maybe if you're exploring Christianity today, nearly every single historian in the world would say that a man called Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but a man called Jesus lived on the earth around 2,000 years ago, but he died on a cross and his body was never found. That's pretty much agreed from historians whether they want it to be true or not. He was real, he did come and he had ancestors which we've just read through here. And as we're gonna see the claim is that he wasn't just a man. He wasn't just a man born in Bethlehem. For us as we believe here at Town Church, for people around the world, we believe he was God coming to earth. And it's a claim which provokes a response, doesn't it? It's a big claim. A genealogy in those days, a little bit like a CV today, Um, It's saying, this is who I am. So, of course, in places it's selective, just like in a CV where we bring different things to the fore depending on the job. But in writing this genealogy, Matthew is wanting us to see certain things about Jesus. So, firstly, he has a traceable history. He's a real man. Secondly, and really importantly, we see that Jesus is the promised king. Look down at me. If you've got your Bibles open, look down at me at verse 1. Verse 1 says, This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What does the Messiah mean? Well, Matthew is saying this is the promised king, as I said, in which all history converges. Jesus defines the periods before him coming and after. And for an original Jew reading his genealogy for the first time, he's saying really significant things here. Through his family history, much like somebody marrying into the royal family in the old days might have had to prove their royal uh, blood He's claiming we see Jesus' royal blood through his family line. There are loads of names, but let's focus where Matthew does in verse one. Jesus the Messiah, Messiah means the anointed anointed one. Matthew is saying this child, this baby born in Bethlehem was the promised king, the promised king of Israel, the promised king of the world, it's a big claim. Then says he's the son of David, the son of Abraham. Both of those figures, you may have heard them, you may have heard them in Sunday school a long time ago, or just hear them, I'm not sure we sing about them in carols, you never know. But both these figures are massively famous in history because of the promises given to them and to their descendants. Genesis 12, that Genesis is the first book of the Bible, we meet Abraham and God promises to him this. He says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Through your offspring, all nations will be blessed. A writer and pastor from London, John Stott, he once said, It may truly be said without exaggeration that not only the rest of the Old Testament, but the whole of the New Testament are an outworking of these promises of God. He said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Through your offspring, all nations will be blessed. It's a hugely significant promise, and what Matthew is saying is fulfilled in Jesus' coming. You see, we go right back to the start of Genesis, right back to the start of the Bible, and we're told of the world that was created by God. It's created good. It was blessed. Man and woman lived in the way they were designed, under God's rule. Then we're told, as we go further on in Genesis, how that was all lost. With Adam's sin, with his rejection of God's rule, the world came under a curse. And the chapters of that follow describe the, the fallout of that. And then suddenly, relatively out of the blue in Genesis 12, I encourage you to read it later. We see this promise, a promise that our broken world will one day be put right. And once again, we will see blessing through Abraham's offspring. Hundreds of years later, we then see that promise focused on the promise of a king, a king to rule God's people. Firstly, we see that promise focused on King David. David and Goliath fame, if you've not heard of him before. And notice in verse 6 of our passage, if you look down, verse 6, David is the only one called king. Jesse, the father of king. David, there's loads of kings in this genealogy, but he's the only one with that title here. Uh, David was Israel's first proper and good king. A great king, by no means a perfect king, not the one true king. You see that in verse 6. We see the reminder there of the scandalous affair he had with Bathsheba, here called Uriah's wife. David committed adultery with her and then had her husband killed. So by no means a perfect king. But for most of his life, he seeks to be faithful to God. And there was then another promise, a prophecy that there would be a greater king to follow in David's line, a son of David, as Matthew says here. A promise that said from his descendants, one of them would reign forever and ever and ever and sit on David's throne. We see this. In 2 Samuel 7, the prophet Nathan says to David, He says, The Lord declares to you that the Lord Himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish His kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. I will be His father, and He shall be my Son. Now, Put yourself into the shoes again of that first century uh, Jewish person, whoever you were on your head, Palestine 2000 years ago. Firstly, they're probably sandals, not shoes. Get that right first as you imagine it. Uh, it's probably a bit dustier than Bista II and better weather definitely. But you've been waiting for centuries, centuries and centuries of this promised king, this Messiah who would come and restore you. You've been waiting and waiting and waiting hundreds and hundreds of years. And you're probably sitting there cross-legged probably on the floor, thinking what on earth has happened to all these promises of God? Can he really be trusted? Maybe that's you here today as well. You're thinking if there is a God, where is he really? Is he really in control? God's timing is different to ours, but it's always perfect. And so you read Matthew 1, you've been waiting and waiting and questioning and you'd go, what a claim. Here is the promised king. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, I'm listening. Matthew wants us to understand the biggest story here of these first few verses so we can get the absolute wonder of Christmas. This is the promised king, this man, this baby we think about at Christmas time, this baby who, who cried. I've been with a baby most of today. They, they're great, but they're not exactly. I'm not going to continue that sentence. <laughs> so the baby who cried, who burped, who toddled, who waddled, who walked, this, this baby, this is the Messiah. This is the promised king, Charles Spurgeon. He was a great historical Christian writer and he said, what a wonderful condescension that the Son of God would have a genealogy. What that means is he's just going, how utterly mind-blowing that God would come to earth, that God would love us so much and instead of treating us as we deserve for our rejection of his rule, for our rebelling against him, for the times when we go, thanks so much God for creating me, thanks for giving me all these good things, but actually I'm going to go and live how I want to live, thanks. Instead of treating us as we deserve, he sends his son, Jesus, from the absolute glory of heaven to come as a human child. We sing about it in the carol so often. To come as a human child with the sole purpose to take the punishment we deserve on the cross so we can have eternal life and a relationship with him. Let's not lose the wonder of that this Christmas time. I'm so in danger of doing that year on year on year, Christmas again and again. Let's not use, lose the wonder of that. We're reading that book. Um, it says in my notes, we're reading this book, so imagine this book in my hand, uh, Christmas time. Uh, they're free, they're a gift from us, you please do take them. Anyone can take them. They're great at unpacking, in a re- they're short, massive selling point, they're short, five minutes, once a day up until Advent, about the Christmas. And I read today's, don't know if anyone else read today's, but it struck me on this point that this baby, this baby in a manger is God himself. Let me read. Tim Chester who writes it, he says this as we think about this, he says, God and humanity are so different. Before God, we're the equivalent of bacteria on a petri dish. How can God communicate with us? What language can he use? Even if we could hear words from him, how could they say anything that we could comprehend? The good news is that Jesus is the word of God in whom we hear God. God has accommodated himself to us in the most incredible way he's become one of us it's as if i transform myself in a bacterium to communicate with other bacteria it's amazing to think about isn't it matthew is getting us to look at the big picture this is the promised king from eternity gone this is god the old testament has over 300 prophecies about the messiah about jesus all of which (laughs) were fulfilled by Jesus in his time on earth, which is amazing. Some of them are fulfilled here. The Messiah would come from the line of Abraham, the royal bloodline of David. Jesus is the promised king. Thirdly and finally, one thing we really see here is we see that Jesus came to earth for you, for me and for everyone. My dad completely randomly happened to send me my family tree earlier in the week. It was completely random. He didn't know I was doing this and it was shocking. Um, I have a great, great aunt who has the same name as my parents' cat, um, which is worrying. Aunt Bunty, turns out Caroline's vetoed that as a potential name uh, for our child. Um, For first century Jews, though, the names wouldn't have been shocking. What would have been shocking would have been a few other things. I'm not sure if you noticed them. Genealogies in these days didn't have any women in. This one has five. The Jewish Messiah we want to notice this in here, but has non-Jewish people listed in his genealogy. And it's a pretty warts-and-all family tree full of potential black sheep. So firstly, looking at the women, culturally, it really wouldn't be normal to have had them in. And when we dig into their stories, we see them throughout the Old Testament, great stories. I encourage you to read them of Ruth, of Rahab. Um, we see talk of um, Bathsheba as well, as I talked about with David and others. When we dig into their stories, we see them Matthew could have gone down the line of some of the great matriarchs of the Old Testament who were also in Jesus' line, if you want to put women in there, Sarah, Rebecca. But instead we get three pretty shocking ones. We get Tamar. Tamar is described as a prostitute who tricked her father-in-law into sleeping with her and making her pregnant. We have Rahab, a prostitute. We have Bathsheba, an adulteress, not named, the one called Uriah's wife who David committed adultery with. We see here the family Jesus was born into is a family of broken people, a family of flawed people. Even as David has mentioned, as we've said, we're reminded of his flawed character. We see that with the line about Uriah's wife. He slept with his wife Bathsheba, and then he had Uriah, her husband, killed. You see, and we see this as we follow Jesus throughout his life, Jesus didn't come to be associated with the great and the good. He didn't come either and call us to be good in order to be associated with him. If good was the benchmark before God, Sai asked us this on Friday, if you're there on Friday, If perfection is the benchmark, then who on earth could stand before God? So here we see, firstly, Jesus came for the broken. He came for the guilty. He came for those who live with shame. Shame for those things we've done. Or shame for things which have been done to us. Talking about family trees, the story is told of a man describing a black sheep in his family, in his family trees, talking to another family member. One member of the family had been guilty of a terrible crime and unfortunately was eventually executed by electric chair. The family member was embarrassed. He tried to put a gloss on it as he described uh, this family member to someone. He s- described him to someone and he said, Uncle Sid, he uh, worked for the Ministry of Justice. Eventually he was given a chair in applied electronics. <laughs> Strong ties kept him there until he died. His death came as a great shock. Sometimes, we prefer to hide our past, don't we? Jesus doesn't do this. Jesus came for broken people. Secondly, he came for everyone, Jews and Gentiles. Jews are the people of Israel, the nation set apart by God. The Gentiles, everyone else, probably the vast majority of us in this room, uh, Gentiles. In Paul's letter, the Apostle Paul, a guy who wrote in the New Testament, he writes a letter to a church in Galatians, in Galatia, and he says that because Jesus came, He says there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Matthew is saying here, Jesus is bringing in a new kingdom. And that was always part of the plan. Think back to the promise of Abraham, I'll make a blessing, make you a blessing for all nations. God has not just been for his people Israel but for those outside of that nation from the beginning as we see him as family tree which is full of Gentiles and the next story in Matthew we're going to see we see the wise men men from the east and at the end of Matthew's book we see Jesus' call to proclaim the amazing news to the ends of the earth Jesus didn't just come for a specific group of people for a specific nation he came to save everyone and this Christmas time let's remember Christmas is not just for children not just for functional families it's not just for the religious not just for the moral not just for the upright Christmas is for everyone because Jesus came as king for everyone so be encouraged as we look at Jesus family tree nothing is too broken or shameful for God no one is too broken or shameful to be loved by him and be challenged that he came for you he came for me he came for everyone because we needed him to And as we finish, here's the thing. Uh, Most of us want to conceal the most disgraceful events and people in our families. I was describing something from my family tree when I got it sent through to Caroline on Thursday where my dad sent it. Uh, And she gasped and said, wow, your family's more twisted than mine. Um, Potentially true. And And we hide it. I hide it. But not Jesus. He goes out of his way here to draw attention to the women whose very names call to mind scandalous things. Men as well. Why? Well, I think he's wanting to remind us before Matthew even gets into the story of his birth when all the nativities start, the great stories we sing about, he wants to remind us why he came. He came to save us in our brokenness. He came to save all of us whether we think we need saving or not. You see, the beauty of Christmas is that the Son of God chose to take on human nature in all of its ridiculousness, and it is ridiculous, and brokenness. He came near to us in our fallen condition and he himself was perfectly free from sin. And while we read his names and his genealogy, we should make sure we don't forget how low the king of the universe stooped to save the human race, to save us. So here's a couple of challenges. Firstly, will we remember him? Will we remember this king this Christmas time? As we said, it's easiest to go through the motions, isn't it? The rhythm of Christmas. Christmas party, secret Santas, mulled wine, lovely time running around the nibbles, all the free little nibbles you get at Christmas fairs. Love that. Christmas tea decorations, cheese, big fan of cheese. And we just repeat that year on year on year on year. And maybe if you've been following Jesus for a long time, today is a reminder and a challenge to see Jesus afresh, to remember why he came. That's why those books are so great. Maybe commit to reading that this Christmas. Maybe commit to doing that together as a family, as a church, this Christmas. See Jesus afresh. So will you remember him this Christmas time? Secondly, will you make way for the king this year, maybe even for the first time? Why do not you make way for God to be the king in your life this Christmas? We saw it in the video. If he is who he says he is, then we need to make way for him. Carol and I went to see uh, Aladdin in London last week. Um, at the West End, it was great. Um, If anyone knows that epic song, Make Way for Prince Ali, it's a great song, Toe Tapper, find it on Spotify. But if you know the story, and it's a spoiler alert, but I don't care, because Aladdin's been out for decades. Um, Prince Ali is a fraud. He's an utter fraud. He's not who he says he is. He isn't a prince, he's Aladdin. Jesus is no fraud. He is the king of the universe. Make way for King Jesus. Jesus. Maybe you want to explore this more. Can I encourage you to do that? Take one of the books, have a read through it. It, It's too serious, too important to put off year on year. Chat to someone here, chat to me about finding out more and exploring about it this year. Look through the whole genealogy. And there's loads of names we have no idea about, no idea who they were, because life is short on this earth. Eternity is forever. So why don't you consider this Christmas exploring more about Jesus who loved you so much? that he came from heaven 2,000 years ago to earth. These lines, Matthew 1, 1 to 17, they're the first lines of Matthew's gospel. And they reveal much about the baby who's about to be born in a manger in the next chapter. They set it up brilliantly. They're groundbreaking. They say to us, this is not an ordinary baby. This is the king of the universe, the promised king, come to earth to save everyone. So wherever you are today, wherever you stand, The challenge is, will you make way for the King this Christmas time? I'm gonna pray and Chris is gonna help us as we sing. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much that you sent Jesus. Thank you that you humbled yourself. You came in a human line Thank you that you fulfill all your promises. Thank you, Lord, that you came to save everyone, that you got stuck in with the brokenness and the messiness of this world. And you came as a promised king and you promise for those who put their trust in you that you will reign forever with us for eternity. Lord, we praise you for the outrageous truth of Christmas. Help us this Christmas to fix our eyes on you. Help us to see you afresh, see you for the first time Lord. Lord we thank you so much um, for the way you speak to us in your word. We pray this Christmas time help us to remember you. In your precious name Lord Jesus. Amen.